passage you probably may probably have memorized. You've heard it so many times. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's, um, well, we're going to talk about it a little bit more in a minute, but it is an extraordinarily familiar passage to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and he talks about what love is. This is God's word for us, and week after week you hear me say that this is God's uh, a word, it is our foundation. When life is lived well, we live it according to this word. When life tends to come off the rails, we tend to fall away from this word. So I invite you this morning in honor of God's holy word to please stand as we share it together. Today, from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we'll read verses 1 through 8 and, verses, and, and verse 13. <clears throat> if I speak in the tongues of mortals and angels but do not have love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. This is God's word for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Over the course of my ministry, I have conducted a bunch of weddings, a bunch of weddings. And I can tell you that by far the most frequently requested passage to be offered at a wedding is that one, 1 Corinthians 13. And I can also say that in a majority of weddings that I've done, I have used that passage and expounded on it in some way. And I think, I think, it's because couples understand that when this passage is read, it's more than just words on a page. When this passage is read, it's God-given instruction. It's God-given wisdom. It's what, what a God-blessed and God-ordained relationship looks like. The words in this passage are extraordinarily powerful. Have you ever read something so many times that you really don't pay much attention to it anymore? You just kind of read over it? It just come, becomes so familiar? That's one of my fears about this passage, that, that it can be read so many times that we really don't pay close attention to it anymore. 1 Corinthians 13. On the other hand, over the course of my, my ministry, I have counseled thousands of couples. I'm at that point now where I think I can say it. Thousands of couples when they are at a crisis place in a relationship. I've done this long enough now to have married couples and then have them come back in times of crisis. And very often, very often when 
a relationship is in crisis, it's because some part of 1 Corinthians 13 has come unraveled. Somewhere in it. And so for a little while this morning, I want us to look through the lens of Holy Scripture at what makes for a strong, healthy, God-centered relationship. What are the ingredients, if you will, of a strong, healthy, God-centered relationship? And before I do that, I want to offer up a caveat. And I want you to hear this clearly. You cannot change another person. The idea of waiting until someone does something before you become more something, the idea of assuming that they're going to this, this, and this, or if I do more of this, this, and this, things will get better, the idea of doing that will stunt you relationally and spiritually. Any relationship in your life will only be as strong as the one least committed to it. Not the one most committed to it. I've seen people in men and women in relationships do relational backflips to try and make things work, but they forget that it takes two. They forget that any relationship in your life will only be as strong as the one least committed to it. You, can, you cannot make another person change. So I say that to you to say the message today is not for them. The message is for you because in the final analysis, again, the only person you can change in a healthy way is you. So don't spend your life waiting on them before you get healthier in a relationship. But before I go any farther, I need to say a word to those of you in the room today and who are watching by Facebook who are not in a relationship. <clears throat> First of all, a word to the single people. Whether you're in the sanctuary today or, and you're not married or whatever, whether you're listening through Facebook, always remember this. One is a whole number. It's not a fraction. You are not part of a person. You are not a half waiting on another half to make you whole. You are a whole person. You are created by God. And incidentally, the Bible says that being single is okay. Check it out. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. One is a whole number. To those in this room or who are listening via Facebook who are divorced, either recently or a while ago, this Today is not about looking back, this message. Today is not about what I should have done or what they didn't do or what might have been. Too many people spend too many days, months, years in relationships thinking about what I did wrong or what they did wrong or they're looking over their shoulder at the past 
The message today is not about regret. It's not about anger. It's not about anything that's happened before. It's about now. To those who are listening today via Facebook or in this sanctuary who have lost a loved one, a spouse, these are perhaps the most difficult words of all because nobody can understand your pain unless they've been there. The loneliness. I simply remind you of what I have reminded those of you I've talked to already, and that is that the Bible is very serious when it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And there are people in this room who have walked through that valley, and you know that God has been with you because you've, you, you're making it through it. So, <clears throat> having said that, what kind of love is healthy? What, what does healthy love look like? What are the characteristics of that? And what I want to do today is I want to take the word love and I want to I let it form an acrostic, if you will, in order to identify the four scriptural qualities found in a healthy love. And incidentally, today may appear that it may appear the message is for people who are married. Don't believe that because the reality is what I'm about to tell you is true for any healthy relationship in which you love another person regardless of what it is. So let's begin this way. The L. The L of love. Let's let the L stand for listen. Love is patient. Love is kind, verse 4 says. James chapter 1, verse 19 says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. My observation has been that in unhealthy relationships, exactly the opposite is true. People are very slow to listen, they're very quick to speak, and they have a very short fuse. Scripture understands that communication is what knits people together. And poor communications will always pull people apart. So, how do we communicate effectively? What does the Bible talk about when it talks about effectively communicating? Well, it begins with effective listening. My friends... There are all kinds of ways to communicate today, right? More so than in, in history, maybe. There's Facebook, there's Snapchat, there's Chitter, there, tw Twitter, there's... <laughs> Chitter? Chatting and Twitter. Chitter, ha! Huh. Maybe it's a thing. There's Instagram. Oh, and by the way, there's still this thing called a handwritten letter. People do that occasionally. We have all kinds of ways to communicate with people today, but I would submit to you that despite the fact that there are all kinds of ways to do that, we don't do it any better. It may be that we're doing it worse. Communication, effective communication begins not with speaking, but with listening. And he says, I don't need to listen to her. I know what she's going to say. We've been married. We've been together all this time. I don't really, I know what's going to come. I know her. 
And she says, I know what he's thinking. But you don't if you aren't listening because you see, people evolve. People change. People grow. So we have to, we have to understand that listening is not something that you grow out of. Listening is something is not something that just well I've got it so and I know what they you know we all we finish each other's sentence and all I understand that but my observation has also been that very often people aren't so much interested in being right as they are in in being heard listening listening in the present moments one of the best books I've, read, I've ever read on this subject, it's another one that's in my library, is a book entitled You Just Don't Understand. It's written by Deborah Tannen. It spent three years on the bestseller list, and there's a line in it, a statement that she makes, that I find very useful. She says, I have to listen to you, and then I earn the right to speak. I have to listen to you, and then I earn the right to speak. But you know what happens with most of us? Most of the time, we're not really listening. We're reloading. Do you understand what I mean when I say reloading? We're not hearing them. We're preparing what it is we're going to say next. In bad relationships, each person is trying to make the other person understand and not trying to understand. The first biblical principle we have to start with is that we start with listening, not speaking. So let's let the L stand for listen. The second letter, the O, <clears throat> let's let the O stand for overlook. Notice what it says in verse 5. It says, love does not keep a record of wrongs. Isn't that a great way to say it? Love does not keep a record of wrongs. My way of saying it is, love doesn't stockpile infractions. Love doesn't stockpile infractions. Here are the things you should have done. Here are the things that you should have said. Here are the things you failed to do. Here's a helpful piece of advice. Never use a past mistake to settle a present argument. Never use a past mistake to settle a present argument. No, biblical love has the capacity to overlook. Now... <clears throat> Let me make a, a disclaimer here. I'm not talking about overlooking cruelty. I am not talking about overlooking abusive behavior. I'm not talking about that. No, I'm talking about overlooking the little things that inevitably occur in relationships because too often, too often, in relationships, people major in minors. They make a huge deal out of stuff that's not worth it. 
They major in minors. They zero in on the nickel and dime stuff. Here's how it generally works. In dating, in courtship, whatever you want to call it, in, the, at, in that period of time, people are looking at the wonderful things about the other person. Oh, they're this, and they're this, and they're, and they're the best, and they do this, and it's great, and it's great, and it's sickening. Oh, uh, I hear them talking about it, and it's just blah, 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 blah. And it's, I get it. I, I, I do. I understand. In the beginning, they're focused on the strengths and what they do well, and I'm, I'm focused on what I like about you and what I love about you. Then they get married. The contract is signed, and now the approach becomes, I think I can improve you a little here and there. You've got just a... You got just a few little things that irritate me. There are a few things that I really don't care for, and I think I can help you be so much better, so I'm going to seek to improve you. What have I done? I've gone from looking at all the wonderful things that caused me to love you to the few things that I don't care for and on which I am now focusing. Listen carefully to my next sentence. In any relationship, I don't care what kind it is. In any relationship, what you focus on will either be life-giving or life-threatening. It's just a fact. The Bible makes it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says in the first five verses, he says, So you see the speck in the other, other person's eye, and your attitude becomes, let me get rid of that speck in your eye. It's just a little speck, but I'll just take care of it. And all the while, you're oblivious to the log that's in your own eye. You can't change another person. God can. The other person can. You cannot. All I would simply say to you is, where you focus will either be life-giving or life-threatening in any kind of relationship. You can change yourself, and when you change yourself, you may open the door to the other person changing. Forgiveness is necessary in any enduring relationship with your children, your parents, your friends, whatever. What you accentuate... I want to drive this home, and I want to be as clear as I can because I, this is one of those things where my father used to say, son, when you're pointing the finger, remember there are three more pointing back at you. This is an area where I have struggled as well. Where you focus is where the relationship will become strong. Listen, it's about communication. Overlook is about forgiveness. Let's let the V stand for voice. Listen, overlook, voice. Express your love. Proverbs 31 is a great, great chapter. It describes a good and godly woman. 
And in verse 28 and 29, it says, her husband praises her. He says, many women are good wives, but you are the best of them all. In every significant, enduring, endearing relationship, you have to say your love. You have to show your love, and you have to say your love. And here's the thing. Neither one will substitute for the other. Showing won't replace telling, and telling won't replace showing. It takes both. Some of you, I know, have read that little classic book, uh, The Five Love Languages. It's Gary Chapman's little book. If you've never read The Five Love Languages, check it out. I want to commend it to you, The Five Love Languages. Gary Chapman's theory is that each one of us hears and expresses love in one primary way, but there's one of these that particularly resonates with every person, including the person we're trying to communicate with, and that's probably going to differ. The five love languages, he says, the five love languages are words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, receiving gifts, and physical touch. Those are the five. We're all, if we're expressing love, express it in one of those ways, but there's one of those that we particularly resonate with when we're receiving love. You with me on that so far? Okay. Here's the problem. We tend to express our love for the other person in the way we prefer to get love. And maybe that other person doesn't receive love that way best. Now, I'm down in the weeds here, so I need you just to stay here with me a second. We tend to express our love to the other person in the way that we receive it best, but that may not be the best way for the other person to receive it. So we need to know not only our own love language, we need to know our partner's love language. Faith and I have talked about teaching that that course here. I think it might be helpful. For example, my primary love language is words of affirmation, isn't it? Words of affirmation. I respond to attaboys. You tell me I'm doing a good job at something and I won't quit until that's the best job you've ever seen at that something. Now, my wife's love language primarily is quality time. I can tell her I love her and that she's doing a great job as my wife. All day, every day. And I'm sure she appreciates that. But nothing moves her as much as when I set aside something I had planned to do to do something with her. I like to play golf. It takes about four hours. Well, for me, it takes five or six hours, but four hours to play around the golf. I've learned that it makes her heart sing when I don't play golf and give her those four hours. Or going to take her to lunch or something like that. And that's when she'll say, you're doing a great job as my husband, and I'm in great shape then, and we're really hitting on all cylinders, right? (laughs) Again, we tend to express love in the way we prefer to get it, but unless that's the way they receive it, 
Well, we need to shift our focus to what the other person needs. Voice your love. Communicate it. Here's the last one. You with me so far? Say amen if you're with me. Okay. All right. Listen. My father used to say, son, always remember God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Listen. Overlook. One of the sayings that we've adopted in my house, I have an 18-year-old son that I love, and all my ch- we love all our children. My 18-year-old, we have this thing now where we say, every hill is not worth dying on. You understand what I mean by that? It's true in relationships as well. Listen, overlook, voice. Here's the last one. Let's let the E stand for effort. Verses 7 and 8 say, love never fails. Love never gives up. It's faith, hope, and love, and patience. They never stop. We have this idea that love ought to be spontaneous. It ought to just happen. It ought to just come naturally, that I should just feel wonderful all the time. But it's not like that. Feelings ebb and flow. Listen carefully. Jesus never told us what to feel. He told us what to do. Boy, that's important. Take that with you today. Jesus never told us what to feel because feelings are fickle. Feelings change. Feelings come and go, and they're up and down, and there are days when I'm not as wonderful as I think I am, and there are days when my wife may not be, but the point is feelings ebb and flow. At the end of the day, though, we come to understand that love is a lot more than a feeling. Love is something you do. Love is something you do. Let me close with this. Dr. Carl Hurley is a college professor, and he turned entertainer later on. But he tells a story about a man who, when he left for work one day, he was kissed on the cheek by his wife, and she said to him, Honey, I want you to enjoy this special day. And all morning long, he kept trying to think, What's so special about this? What's so special about today? What am I missing? You know it's a sin to forget things like this. You have to be careful about it. What am I missing? And not being able to remember, he decided at least to kind of cover his bases. So he sent his wife some flowers. Still hoping to get some hint of what was so special about the day, he called her. And he said, honey, why don't we go out to dinner this evening? But that conversation produced no clue about what was so special about this day. He got home around 5.30, had a box of candy and stuff, had gifts for And they went out to their best restaurant in town, had a wonderful candlelight dinner. He was covering his bases. And during the dinner, she reached over and she took his hands and she said, Honey, I just want you to know this is the most wonderful Groundhog Day I have ever, (laughs) ever had. Mm, Best Groundhog Day. 
but he covered his bases. I wish I could get to the place where the weddings I do had a 100% success rate. But they don't. I, I, I wish I could get to the place where I, along with every other person, would realize you are not promised anything. I'm a country music fan. And one of my favorite entertainers is a guy named Garth Brooks. And Garth Brooks does a song called If Tomorrow Never Comes. Will, you know, will she know how much I love her? I just want to give you the opportunity to remember today we're not promised tomorrow. I'm not. We're not. I'm not. But I want you to know this also. The people in your life who mean something to you, they really mean something to you. Listen carefully. Overlook the small stuff. Do not major in minors. It ain't worth it. Learn to voice what you feel. And at the end of the day, any relationship of love in your life that's worth anything to you, love will be something you do. And when everything is said and done, the other person will know or they won't. That's your call. So, as we close our worship today, we're going to have an opportunity to come and pray at the altar. Now, this is a little different today, okay? It might be that today you want to just take the hand of someone you love and just come and pray here and just say, God, I thank you for this person. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. It might be that you want to come and you want to kneel down here and say, Dear God, today I've been reminded, I've been reminded of what's most important. And dear God, as I go forward with my life, I want to make sure to listen, overlook, voice, and make the effort. Today, dear God, I want to make that decision because I want it to last. There are two kinds of relationships. There are those that endure and there are those that endear. And I want to invite you to have one that endears regardless of what the future holds. Because God will put people in your path that you will love. And when you draw your last breath on this side of heaven, be sure that you've loved them and they know it. So we're going to have you have an opportunity to come and pray. You don't have to, but if you'd like to come and pray, I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you as God's people to make the mature decision to love in a right way because it's something you do. So at this time, you're invited to come and pray if you'd like.